Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ryan Giggs to my Edgar Allan Poe. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? <laughs> yep, good. So, yeah, we felt better, but yeah, probably feel better than Anthony Joshua this morning, actually, to keep it topical. All good. Yeah, very topical. That was a, uh, yeah, that went on a long while, didn't it? Um, on the show this week, we're joined by Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV. Tom, how's it going? Yeah, really well. Thanks, guys. Um, well, personally, on the field for the, the team that I support, not so great. But yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. No problem at all. Also with us is Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Ben, are you well? Um, I'm probably worse than anti-Joshua today, to be honest with you. Um, but I suppose we'll get on to that at some point, won't we? Maybe not Anthony Joshua, but we'll get on to Stoke here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Welcome to the number one championship specific podcast. He's second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to talk about all the games in the championship from the past weekend, including the seven side derby a bit later on. And then we'll talk about some of the news from the past few days, including all the latest transfers. And then we'll finish off with a little game we like to call Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So we'll begin things at the Bet 365 Stadium, where Stoke lost 1 0 to Sunderland. Ben, how was the game, first of all? Um, you probably don't want me to use the word that I want to use. Um, it, it, Go on, it, man. It, Do it. it. Do it. It was shite. It really was. <laughs> it, like, to be fair to him, first off, I'm, I'm, I'm probably being more emotionally drained and apathetic because of how we've been for the last six years, probably, to be honest with you. But we were okay first half. You know, Liam Delap injected a much-needed hunger up front, I think, and a, and a bit more strength. And just, just he's clearly come into a squad which, it, in itself, is low on confidence. And I just hope we don't breed that into someone like him because think about all the time we've been in the championship. We seem to have had four or five new squads. It's, it's, it's like that um, old two runner joke about a broom having five new heads and four new handles. That's how it feels like with Stoke, and yet the problems are still here. Um, and and that's that's not changed. Well, that brings me nicely on to your text from Saturday night where you said, you picked a fabric to have me on. The fan base is in tatters. So what did you mean exactly by that, Ben? I think we... We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we don't know why we're turning up to games. We don't know what's going to come next. We genuinely don't know what Stoke team is going to come up in the next game. We don't really know what the target is. We don't know if Michael O'Neill is going to be here next week or if he's going to be here at the end of the season. It, we feel genuinely really rudderless. Um, the only good game we've had this season is Blackpool at home um, and things just clicked. A lot of things have gone against us 
injuries recently have been absolutely one of them. But we we just seem to be a team that can't face any sort of adversity, and the fans have just had enough of as I said before, six years of underperformance, basically. And we don't know what we can do about it. We feel absolutely powerless. Well, Justin Ross Stewart, the Loch Ness Drogba, he got Sunderland's goal and he's taken to the championship like a duck to water, or maybe in this case, a lot less monster to water. Yeah, it depends if you uh, believe they exist, but you know the conspiracy podcast will come will come soon um, on that one. But yeah, it, I mean, a reminder that it cost three hundred k. By the way, he's, he was a, it was a good signing, a good pickup from from Scotland, obviously, and he, he's proving to be a, a very good finisher. He's a good player off the shoulder. I mean, Stokes pressing for the goal wasn't great, but Jack Clark's ball over the top and. Stewart's able to peel in between, well, three set and a half essentially, and um, and and to to finish the way he did. I know Bursic did get something on it, but it was a good movement. It was good movement and a good finish. Um, and the performance from a as a whole from Sunderland was solid, and they kept Stoke at arm's length. Yeah, it's been a bit all doom and gloom so far from a Stoke perspective on the pod, and it, Ben. But let, let's finish on a positive. Liam Delap, you spoke about him a minute ago. Um, exciting signing isn't it hey it's possibly the best signing we could have pulled off this window i think it's a signing possibly the best signing anybody could have pulled off this window how stoke got to the front of the queue um only they really know like they they must have done some real work over the summer behind the scenes to get him in um but i also get this sense that we're going to waste him here i mean who's going to set him up nick powell's injured We've got Will Smallbone, who has had a good game against Blackpool, but has been basically absent ever since. Our wing-backs are all injured, so we're playing Jordan Thompson, midfielder, and Tariq Fosu, bless him, who's tried his best, but he's a winger, um, and, and he's struggling to get forward. Delap's not going to be able to do it on his own. He nearly did in the first half, to be fair to him. He charged down against Luca Nine, and, and which is great to see that he's not going to shrink under a shithouse like him. But... I, I don't know how we're going to score a goal. And I don't know how he's going to score a goal unless we drastically up our creativity. And honestly, under this manager, I don't know how we're going to do it. Get Rory back in. Let him set up, Liam. You know what? Honestly, I I don't know. Why can't he teach one of these 25 players to throw a ball along? How hard (laughs) can it be? It can't just be (laughs) genetics and anatomy, can it? There's got to be some technique to it. We've got that desperate. We want Rory Delat to make a triumphant return to Stoke City. Luton got their first win of the season away at Swansea. They beat them 2-0. For Swansea, it's just one win from their first five. First of all, Tom, how was the game? Um, I don't know if anybody's listened to Russell Martin's press conference after the game, but the attitude, performance um, and, and everything that goes with it from the start of the game carried on from the final three minutes from Tuesday night against Millwall. Um, nerviness from certain certain individuals on the pitch. Um, just no no desire in attack to to take a you know take a chance at goal from distance. Um, I think we finished the game with two shots on target. Um, just sitting on the ball, passing sideways, which you know fine. This is the style of play that they want to implement at the club. Um, stats don't win you games. There's only one stat that does count, and that's the goals in the back of the net. It's it's very frustrating because we we know we've got players that are capable of of playing the style of play that Russell Martin and the coaching team want. Um, but the 
sort of the inexperience is there when when going forward and trying to actually take opportunities at goal. We're just just not taking any chances. Is that the main problem then, Tom? Just the passing it back into the back of the net that Swan that Swansea just seem insistent on doing amongst the fan base. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like we literally want to put together 20 passes and then have a tap-in at the end of it. Um, we've had one goal this season, which has come from outside the box, uh, which was uh, Harry Darling. Uh, a great, great effort. But, you know, we've got fans in the crowd that are screaming for the likes of Matt Grimes, Harry Darling, Kyle Norton to have a shot from 30 yards because we can see that there's a bit of space. But, you know... How often is a is a thirty yard shot going to hit the back of the net? Maybe the, the goalkeeper will parry it, but fine. Take take that opportunity, take that risk. Um, it just literally seems like we're trying to pass the ball into the back of the net and get a pretty goal. Um, and it, it is frustrating. I mean, unfortunately, there were there were a lot of boos ringing around uh, Tuesday night after the final whistle and yesterday as well. Yesterday was far more frustrating uh, than Tuesday. Obviously, as I say, the last three minutes against Millwall, the the, the, the team just capitulated and just just went to shit um but yesterday it was way more of a frustrating sort of 90 odd minutes because realistically we just didn't look like scoring uh yesterday um and as i said credit to luton and nathan jones he knows how to set a team up against us he knows how to take points off us uh, and they did just that yesterday again so just in luton's first win based on how they've played so far the three points have been coming yeah, absolutely. Um, they've been creating chances and this was probably a game where they weren't at the sharpest, but like Tom mentioned, they were a team, they came up against a team who they know how to play against. You look at that Burnley game uh, a few weeks ago, they know how to set up against a team who are going to want to enjoy plenty of the ball. Um, and I think it's probably naivety from two young coaches to, to persist with their approach against Luton. Um, and it played into into their hands and you only got to look at the goal, for example, from Carlton Morris to see what he adds to that team. The 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 small you know mazy dribble uh, and the finish of his left foot was was absolutely fantastic and just highlights his quality which really looking forward to seeing how he progresses with uh, with Luton under Nathan Jones this season now yeah I've just realised we've got a Stoke fan and a Swansea fan and Nathan Jones being a big Cardiff fan we probably haven't got the Nathan Jones fan club in front of us right now <laughs> so we'll leave that right there but Ben and Tom thank you for now we'll come back to you both later on for a little game we like to call Sam and Grayson take for late in the meantime Justin and I are off around the grounds and we'll begin at Bramall Lane where we find the team top of the table it's Sheffield United after they beat Blackburn 3-0 Johnny Gascoigne is from the Sheffield United YouTube channel the Shoreham View Johnny your boys are flying aren't they the game yesterday was absolutely spot on. Made some vast improvements since that opening day at Watford. It does help that we've got a lot of players coming back from injuries, etc. Uh, they're all starting to gel, blend in now. The new signings have fit straight in. And it was one of the best performances we've seen in a long time. Probably one of the best since our Premier League season where we did so well. Got players firing on all cylinders. Illum and Dye looked absolutely phenomenal. And we made a team that... In reality, just lost to Reading, which was surprising. A team that was sat at the top of the league after some great performances made them look worse than ordinary. And that's always a positive. Yeah, it certainly was an impressive performance, Johnny. And the man you mentioned there, Eddie and Dye, really stood out. How important a play could he be for Sheffield United this season? We've got players in there. Sander Berger is an exceptional player, as is Eddie and Dye. With their price tags at the moment getting millions and millions added to them by every performance. How we do this season 
will come down to if we can keep players like Gundai, like Berger, after the transfer window closes. If we keep them through both transfer windows, it's a very bold prediction, but if we can keep them fit as well, and I'm almost hesitant to say this because it sounds big-headed, and I don't mean it to come across that way, but any team that finishes above us will be the league winners. And Johnny, a quick word on Paul Heckingbottom. Obviously came in last season, did a fantastic job and just seems to have continued that into this season. Yeah, Ecky has been sensational. Uh, it wasn't very fancied by many uh, for some reason. I know a lot of that probably came down to his time at Leeds and Hibs and also when he, he stepped in to fill Wilder's shoes, which is almost impossible in that Premier League season where we were doomed from the start, I believe. But Eckett has always been a sensational coach. He, he was at Barnsley before he made that ill-fated trip to Leeds. I mean, nobody was taking Leeds anywhere under their ownership, let's be fair. So very unfair to judge him on that, as it was his time in Hibs. I mean, it's Scottish football. What, what do you want the man to do? He's a brilliant coach. Some similarities with Wilder, but also some big differences, which I think help him stand out and be different. So it's not really fair to compare the two. So I, I think he's all right. He's proving how good a coach he is. And it's not so much redemption for the man, but it's just him showing what he's always been. And that is a fantastic coach. And long may it continue at Bramall Lane. I think we've struck gold with the man. And I think it's very important that we keep backing him. Keep him happy. And he maybe can keep the fans happy. Cheers, Johnny. Justin, Sheffield United were outstanding here, weren't they? I'd say, I'd go as far to say the best performance from any championship side so far this season. And really should have won this by more, shouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. They've got a team packed full of talent and it was on show in this game. And obviously when you're coming up against a Rovers team who have done a very good job in shutting teams out this season um, to score three past them and, as you say, considerably should have scored more is a testament to to their style of play. I think Paul Heckingbottom mentioned they, they, they moved the ball really well throughout the game, played with a high tempo and they were aggressive out of possession as well. So it really was a complete performance. And then when you've got the goals in the team, I do think Ndai's first goal was the goal of the game, by the way. I think, um, I think you, yeah, you go a long way to putting that marker down to other teams. Yeah, I loved with that Ndai first goal, there was a Blackburn defender who was off the pitch when it went in, appealed for something to be given as he was walking back on the pitch and then walked back off in hope that it would be given as offside, even though that's not how the rule works. If you haven't seen it, Ndai, the ball hits him in the back and it goes in. So it was quite fortunate, but his performance was just quality. I mean, Ollie Norwood's free kick was amazing. So it was going to take something exceptional for us not to talk about that, Justin. But here we are with Illiman Ndai and his two goals. That second one, a beautiful individual goal. Some player, eh? <laughs> yes, and and then some. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm trying to find other ways to describe him. Um, but he's, he's so composed and graceful with the ball at his feet that running into tight areas and, and his finish as well for the second goal was absolutely fantastic because he doesn't go across the keeper. Um, obviously, he's on, you know, he's on the outside left going towards a Blackburn goal and he doesn't put the ball across the keeper. He bends it in at the near post, which to convince his, you know, uh, you know, a keeper being beaten at his near post, you, you would ask questions. But actually, the fact that he bends the ball sort of outwards and then would, I think, is yeah a very, very good finish. And, you know, hats off to him. He's, a, he's such a talented player. And we've mentioned that this is going to be a breakout season for him. He's going to be a key player for Sheffield United this season. It's it's about partnering players with him rather than him being, you know, put into the team. He's, he's, he's a starter for me. He's going to be a massive key player. And we all know that. It's very obvious. 
Yeah, spot on. He's an X-Factor player, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Not many teams in the Championship have a player like that who can change games just like that. He gives Sheffield United a spark and can completely alter the momentum of the game. Sheffield United were cruising at 1-0 mm -hmm. when he came off the bench and then they just stepped it up another gear when he came on. He was amazing, Justin. And we were told last season how much of a talent this boy was. We saw it in glimpses, but it wasn't on a consistent basis, was it? This season, we're seeing it in full flow. His confidence through the roof. And you could make a very good argument that he's been the standout player in the Championship so far. He has been so, so key to Sheffield United's brilliant start to the season. They're top of the Championship now, the Blades. Would you say they've been the best team in the division on the pitch? And if so, by a clear margin? Yeah, I think so. They've certainly been the most consistent and they've been the most complete side. I mentioned earlier on in the week, um, in a previous episode, that they're creating chances and not conceding many chances, which is a very good blend. I know it's a very basic way of saying it, but their XG gives you that indication that they're not conceding those big chances that other teams are. And they're creating those big chances as well. And they've got a very good settled team now and the strength in depth that they've got the to, to come in with the loan signings yeah it's a very very nice balance to have and we're talking about Indai but there were several other players we could mention from this game uh, as to how good they were in, in it and that just highlights the quality of play they've got available to them Well you look at the other teams near the top of the championship Watford have been quite fortunate on more than one occasion Blackburn have been stupidly clinical in their wins without playing brilliantly Reading have been very good but also very bad You've got to say they've easily been the best team, yeah. not just in terms of results, but with performances too. The only real fault you can talk about is the striker position. Obviously, Billy Sharp looks like he's going to be out for a while now. Only McBurney missed a, missed a sitter. <laughs> so that would be the only real fault you can make in the Sheffield United side. Because apart from that, they're just brilliant, aren't they, in terms mm -hmm. of personnel and how they've played so far. All over the pitch, it's been utter class. Quick word on Blackburn then, Justin mere bystanders in this game really weren't they and quite fortunate to have not taken a massive tanking mm -hmm. last week I forecast their brilliant form from the first three games not continuing and it's happening quite a worrying style hasn't it yeah it's probably come a little bit quicker than perhaps both you and I maybe uh, anticipated as well because two back-to-back 3-0 defeats is is quite significant and as you say it could have been I mean a 3-0 defeat is a heavy defeat um in my eyes anyway, but back-to-back, because -back, he his goals not scoring, still not creating. Um, it just highlights a massive lack of quality and depth in certain areas of Blackburn. And look, Thomason has done a, 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 a reasonable job so far, a good job so far, I think, in, in turning around the style of play with what he has. But uh, they need to bring players in. Eight players departed in the summer, three have come in. It's not enough. The the board and, and Greg Browton need to get the finger out and, and back Thomason, otherwise... It could be the season that we predicted for them. Well, they won three games on the trot, but were quite fortunate in those games based on how they played out. Because it is possible to win successive games and not play brilliantly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we've seen with Blackburn. Many people may turn their noses up at expected goals. They've every right to, and it definitely has plenty of flaws. But when Blackburn are defying it as much as they were... It was never going to be sustainable, was it? Unless they started creating more chances. So, at least from those first three games, they were solid at the back. But that wasn't the case against Sheffield United, nor was it the case against Reading. 
So when you've been terrible at the back in your last two and haven't been creating chances in any of your games so far at the other end consistently, that's a concerning mix and it's something John Doyle Thomason needs to sort out immediately. I think time will be on his side because the Blackburn board are quite patient and it's a new manager in a new league um, and by no means should he be any un- un- under any sort of pressure. But it's a bit worrying how the last couple of games have gone for Rovers. Mm. In the seven-side derby, Bristol City beat Cardiff 2-0. A tight game this one, Justin. The star man, though, who scored the first goal, Tommy Conway, 20 years old. He was magnificent, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he led the line really well. And his link-up play of Narky Wells has been has been really impressive. There was some moments in pre-season where they linked up really well. And it, it seems like a very good partnership. And... And it's brought more out of Naki Wells as well, actually. I, I thought his career was done at Bristol City. I thought he'd, he'd move elsewhere. Um, but to his credit, he's, he's come in and he's shown that he's, he's still got um, he's still got the ability to perform. And, and this game showed it. I think it was the, the, the chance where Conway hit the bar when Naki Wells is out in the, the wide area and he puts the ball in with his left foot. A very a very good ball as well. And I've not seen Naki Wells do that very often. So again, to his credit, really good performance. Um, and But to, to shine a light on Tommy Conway, yeah, excellent goal um, for for the first one. Really good glancing header, um, and again, he's 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 proving to be a striker who knows not only does he know where the back of the net is, but he knows what positions to get into. The first one, the goal, great positioning, um, sort of running sort of middle to the near post, and then obviously the the chance where he hit the bar in the first half, hanging around at the back post. Yeah, really liking the look of him. Well, that header was very well taken, wasn't it? Very easy to completely mess that up, but to guide it as well as he did was, you got to take your hat off to it. But he worked his socks off, stretched the Cardiff defence brilliantly, mm. and was just really, really good, leading the line really well. He shares a flat with Alex Scott as well, which I love. He's <laughs> One's an Arsenal fan, the other's a Spurs fan, so you can imagine there's plenty of friendly banter between the two, and I would love to see a, a TV show about the two living together and causing all sorts of mayhem. But nonetheless, the lad's impressed me so far when I've seen him play. I'd like to see him play um, a bit more. I'd like to see him start a few more games because he's really, really looked good. And the link-up play between him, Scott, Wells, anyone going forwards, quite frankly, because I think he's that kind of player who is really good at linking it all together, um, has been really, really good. So, yeah, it's been a good shout from Nigel Pearson to give him a run in the team and he's been really, really promising. And I think Nigel Pearson will be happy with the side here, apart from a Max Waters chance in the first half. Cardiff didn't really have any standout chances, did they? And Bristol City were very solid. Yeah, Cardiff were, were quite tidy in, in possession. They got into some nice areas, but credit to, to Bristol City and how organised they were. Um, now, I know that they have looked quite disorganised at times this season already, um, but they didn't in this game. They, you know, they were disciplined, they were structured um, and they chose their moments to attack and that's what really undid it for Cardiff was was that game management. That's something that's been missing for a long time for Bristol City. Um, their ability to turn over possession in midfield because that's where it really was won. I thought Hanno and Masenga was, was fantastic in the middle and again he was really important to to spearheading those counter-attacks and getting the ball moving quickly forwards. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really impressive complete performance from, from Bristol City and I think going 1-0 up it's never a guarantee of Bristol City to see out that lead, but they did that. They kept Cardiff City at arm's length and didn't give them too much of a sniff in the second half either, which they could have, well, they have done in the past. Yeah, Bristol City lead is definitely not a guaranteed <laughs> three points, is it? Uh, Cardiff were all right, weren't they? They they 
kept it competitive, but just didn't really create that much. And Max Waters had the best chance. And if he scored that, it could have been a very different game, but it wasn't to be. So that would be a concern for me, Waters' continued selection in the team, because I just don't really see what he brings to Cardiff. But I don't think they can be too disappointed with the performance even though losing to one of your big rivals is obviously going to be a disappointment. Could have gone joint top with a win here as well. Um, the only other thing I've got in this game is the damn camera angle at Ashton Gate, Justin. I hate it so much. I forgot <laughs> every time. I forgot about how bad it was <laughs> until I saw this game. It's essentially in space. It's so far away from the pitch, Justin. I can't see who each player is. It's so annoying. I hate it. Why can't they just move it a bit lower? Um, in perhaps the surprise result of the weekend, Reading won Middlesbrough nil. A lovely strike by Tyrese Fauna gave the Royals all three points. A hint of offside from a player standing in the way of the strike, but a lovely goal nonetheless. An evening first half, Middlesbrough dominating after the goal, had plenty of shots, but nothing doing. And it means Borough are the only championship side who haven't had pitch problems yet to win a game, Justin. Yeah, it's... Um... It's quite a worry for Borough, um, if we're being um, honest. I know we've we've given them the benefit of the doubt in previous games about them creating chances, but just not taking them. But how off, you know how how can we keep that up? How often can we keep that up? Um, and and a poor start can cost you an automatic place. And I know we tipped them for promotion mainly because we were hoping that they get deals over the line, but it's not happening as quickly as Wilder wants or anybody wants. Um, and if you look at Nottingham Forest last season, first seven games, I think one point in the first seven, if Steve Cooper was in charge uh, and based on his points per game, they would have finished in the top two. So a poor start can cost you in the long run of the season. Um, I know it's not defined, but it can cost you. And yeah, with, with Middlesbrough, I think they've won seven games in 2022 so far. So um, perhaps more concerning for me is, is, yeah, is, is Chris Wilder. Have they been... Uh, have to be found out under under him at, at Middlesbrough. A lot of question marks, but look, still creating some chances, but things need to improve drastically for them. I would disagree, Justin, because, well, I mean, if you ignore Coventry from the, from the equation, I suppose Middlesbrough are technically bottom, but I don't think they've played poorly. I actually think on the balance of play, they've been the better team in just about every game. The number of goals... Their conceding is obviously a problem. It's the most in the league, which I don't think anyone expected from a Chris Wilder team, let alone with the personnel they've got there as well. But I don't think you can fully assess Middlesbrough until a few weeks after the transfer window because they're going to strengthen. They've got Rodrigo Muniz from Fulham in now. He's not a guaranteed success, but I back him to score goals. And I imagine they'll get another defender before the window closes too. It looks like Jacob Greaves isn't going to be that defender now considering he signed a new contract at Hull. But... Chris Wilder has spoken a lot about how he wants to sign a left-sided centre-half and I think that will happen. I had someone ask me in the week, if we had to redo our league table after these first five games, who would I have top? And I would still have Middlesbrough. As I say, yeah, as I say, they're going to strengthen before the window closes. They're playing well, despite not getting the results. And a bad start doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world. Norwich won the league in 2019. They were 11 points clear of third place leads, despite only winning one of their first six. So there's a long way to go. Five poor games at the start of the season, five poor results really, doesn't define the season. So there's a long way to go and I don't think anyone should count out Middlesbrough's promotion chances yet until after the transfer window closes at the very least. We should probably give some airtime to Reading, shouldn't we? Third in the table after this win. Not bad for a manager we unanimously voted as the worst in the league, Justin. 
I think many, many championship followers and pundits uh, did the same thing. But again, credit to Reading, credit to Paul Lintz. I think we've mentioned the seed mentality that they needed to fortify into the team. But this was a win that they they worked hard for. And and that's what you've got to do when you have limited resources available to you. You've got to work hard for your wins and defend your leads. And and credit to to Reading for doing that. The home form has been brilliant so far. Obviously, three wins. Uh, Cardiff, uh, it was Blackburn, wasn't it? And um, and obviously, Borough, these are good wins. And I think making uh, not the Majeski the home ground, the Select Car Leasing Stadium, a, a fortress will go a long way to um, to to helping them trying to avoid relegation. Because obviously we've mentioned with Borough, the games uh, the season is not defined early on, um, and neither is it for the teams at the top. They could they could fall down. But um, yeah, it's a really good start. And it deserves a lot of credit, and it's a clean sheet against a very very good team in Middlesbrough, which should set. Um, a, a foundation for Reading going forwards. It's just that away form that could creep up at them. Well, you've got to admire the start they've had, haven't you? You've got to praise it. They've played well, and most importantly, they've kept it solid at the back, which was <laughs> my big concern heading into this season, how shocking they were at the back. Because if you ignore the Joe Lumley omni shambles from last week, where he cost them three goals, three goals conceded from five games is not bad compared to last season at all is it so maybe we've been a bit harsh with Paul Ince <laughs> I still fully expect Reading to be in a, re- in a relegation battle this season and there's a long way to go to actually staying up but Ince certainly has made them a very competitive side hasn't he and you've got to applaud that at the very least there was a brilliant game at Turf Moor Sexy Burnley 3 Blackpool 3 a real game of two halves with Burnley 3-1 up at half time Blackpool haul it back to 3-all and the limbs when Jerry Yates equalised Justin were absolutely ridiculous. It was a, yeah, that was a sight to behold. But a great goal by Josh Brownhill. Two good goals by new signing Nathan Teller too. Both teams had a man sent off late on after a very funny incident. Sonny Carey does a very cynical tackle on Ian Martson. He goes flying and then Martson goes back, shoulder barges him very aggressively Scenes we don't like to see on a football pitch that secretly we do want to see on a football pitch and will watch repeatedly as well in certain cases. But this result leaves Burnley without a win since the opening day. Apparently there were boos after this result as well, Justin. Are you worried at all about the Clarets? No, um, I I like what they're doing and what they're trying and it's going to take time. Um, I think that's the thing with Burnley. I think... When you when you see how complete their performance was against Huddersfield, the only thing that was lacking was just more goals. Um, and I think it took everybody surprise by surprise at how um, how quick and composed they were with the ball, and that was probably fed into expectations a little bit. But actually, if you look at uh, their squad and the turnover, they lost a lot of experienced players, a lot of really good experienced players. Um, and I don't think they've been replaced yet. You look at the likes of Tokoski and Ben Mee leaving in the summer and free transfers. They really need to bring in, a, a for, my, for my money, an experienced centre-half. I know they've relied on loans quite a lot, but they do need an experienced centre-half. And I know they've got Luke McNally to come in, but again, doesn't have that experience that is missing from that Burnley team. And experience in, in that defence might may help see that game out because to concede two goals in the second half... Um, against Blackpool I think yeah it's, it's worthy I think it's worthy of a boo considering how much possession they had 75% or se- around 70% uh, of the ball and the amount of chances Blackpool created I think is a really poor showing especially in the second half and just highlights errors in game management which I think is just a little bit naivety from the team and Vincent Company. 
Well, I think they're definitely another one of those sides whose results haven't reflected their performances so far. So I'm not really worried. There's always going to be teething problems when you've got a new manager trying to implement a completely different style of play. Or in this case, literally the complete opposite (laughs) style of play, I suppose. But they've signed 14 different players and breaking them all in is going to take a lot of time, especially when a lot of them haven't even played in this country before or have spent a lot of their last few years in Belgium. Um, It would help if they were more clinical in front of goal and they don't give away sloppy goals, but I'm not even looking at the panic button yet, let alone considering pushing it just in. I'm not even in the same room as the panic button because I think Burnley have played well despite results not necessarily going their way and I think also they have had some tough fixtures early on. But a great comeback by Blackpool, Justin, and despite being tipped to struggle this season, they've had plenty of fights so far, haven't they? Yeah, as I say, the the amount of possession they had and the amount of chances they created with that possession, I think you've got to give it a lot of credit. They're a good team, Blackpool, and they showed that against QPR in midweek with how often they hit um, hit QPR in the counter attack and how comfortable they were to sit in that in that sort of mid to low block and, and absorb pressure and then hit um, hit QPR on the counter attack. And it was sort of the same here, and they were undone with by moments of quality from Burnley, but they weren't particularly carved open. Um, you look at two of the goals. One was a, a deflection, and then Josh Brownhill's goal was ridiculous. Um, so you can't you can't really say that they were carved open too much. And I think that's credit to Appleton, who we knew he was going to come in and, and create a you know a nice defensive structure and allow them to build from there. Um, and we're seeing that, and they're, they're scoring goals and creating chances as well, which is a really big positive. But credit to the uh, Appleton for uh, and Blackpool for fighting that game back because a lot of teams would have probably shrunk under the uh, the pressure yeah probably would have and I think Appleton so far has just continued what Neil Critterly was doing he's altered mm-hmm. it a bit by playing five in midfield instead of the four four two, which was synonymous with Neil Critterly's Blackpool but otherwise it's a continuation of the good work from the last couple of seasons because they have got some very good players there haven't they some very good underrated mm-hmm. players from outside of uh, Blackpool but I'd be very chuffed with what I've seen so far. If I was a Blackpool fan, plenty had concerns over Appleton's appointments, but so far it's been quite good. Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a cracking game at the Hawthorns and also Norwich's win over Millwall. To the second tier podcast, West Brom 5, Hull City 2. This is what happens when West Brom have their shooting boots on, Justin. Yeah, too right. It's um, it's one of those games where I think Hull were just very unlucky that West Brom have all this built-up momentum and pressure from creating chances and it just, you know, the, the dam just finally just gave away and just blew open <laughs> because that's what it felt like. They were on it, the... the the shots just went in. You know, how often does Darnell Furlong shoot from 25 yards out and, and the ball end up in the back of the net? You know when it's your day when that happens. And that's not to discredit Darnell Furlong's ability to, to do that. But again, how often does that happen? So, yeah, they were they were scintillating going forwards. And Grady Dean Garner, it's nice to have him back because he's been brilliant so far this season. Um, and John Swift, again, brilliant. There's not, not too much you can really say that was... Um, that was well, there's no criticism for this West Brom performance because it was very good. Kate conceded two goals, but Hull have got some good players and Estupinan was a um, yeah, showed some good quality in the final third. Just a really, really good performance and about damn time. 
Well, it was actually quite an even game in the first half before West Brom mm. just properly turned it on. Swift was brilliant. And Dean Garner, I completely agree with you, Justin. He looks a different man to the one from last season. So he's been really good so far and was probably man of the match, arguably, for West Brom in this game. But it is their first win of the season, which surprised me for some reason, because it feels like they've had a better start than that. But good for them to get off the mark for Hall, despite conceding five goals. I don't think they were actually too bad, really. Plenty of positives to be had, weren't there? That's what I mean. It's uh, they just come up against a team who just who just was so clinical um, and haven't been in the past. That yeah, it, it was um, it was just one of them games that it was unfortunately opposite, opposition turned it on. And I think all the lads acknowledged that they could have done better in the second half, which is which is a good thing because he's showing that he switched on. But what again pleases me is they. Despite going 4-0 down, they were still having a go. They didn't just shoot up shop and just pass the ball between the centre-halves. And, you know, Stupinan again showed his quality, which is really, really, you know, he's starting to show what he can do at this level, which, again, is really exciting from a whole perspective. And as you say, I reckon if that Callum Elder own goal doesn't go in, a game probably doesn't turn out the way he does. West Brom might go on to win it, but it's certainly not as emphatic as, as it was. Yeah, possibly. I mean, you talk about a calamitous own goal and then two long-range screamers which arrow into the back of the net. If you look at it from a balance of chances perspective, it was probably an even game. And I suppose, I mean, if you take out those three goals, it's 2-2, isn't it? So, yeah, when you put it like that, I think despite the result in conceding five, Hall fans can be quite happy with, well, not happy, but you know what I mean, Hmm. not quite content with how the performance was. On Friday night, two goals from Josh Sargent gave Norwich a 2-0 win over Millwall. He's been given a chance in the starting eleven over the last couple of games, Justin, and he's bloody taken his chance, hasn't he? Yeah, and I tell you what, the two goals he scored were so well taken, especially that second one where he, he you know, he's, he's running through through on goal and he, he slots it in. It was a beautiful, beautiful finish and a, a typical, typical striker's finish as well when you're running in from the left hand side. So, yeah, it's he's 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 really come good, and I think that's helped Norwich a lot because again, going into the uh, second half at nil nil. We've been here before, haven't we, so far this season, where the game's not really falling in Norwich's favour despite creating a fair number of chances. Um, and then their opposition gets, uh, get a chance and they take it. Um, but it didn't happen. Norwich kept their cool. Um, Snarny, again, was, was really impressive. His link-up play with Sargent was good. Uh, and Sargent was very, very clinical. And that's what Norwich have needed over the past few games. Do, do you think he's more of a Dean Smith striker than Timu Puki is? I think so. Um, I think Timo Puki for th- well for for two well, yeah for two seasons or three seasons actually relied a lot on Buendia. And I know I've said it a lot, but the link-up play was so so important to how Timo Puki played with his runs off the ball, um, and he relied on a number ten. Whereas Dean Smith is a four-three-three. Josh Sargent runs can make those runs in from inside, um, which is. Echoes a lot of what Arlie Watkins did under Dean Smith at Brentford, so I would I would argue that Josh Sargent, yeah, is much more of a uh, a Dean Smith striker than Timo Puki, but that's not to say Timo Puki is a poor striker. It's just how the system fits the player. Yeah, well, I'm thinking back to when Tammy Abraham was at uh, Villa mm-hmm. and Dean Smith was in charge. Then I, I'm not saying they're completely identical players, but I see more of Josh Sargent in Tammy Abraham than I do Timo Puki, for example, because Timo Puki's a striker who depends a lot on the service that he's getting into, whereas Sargent can create stuff himself. So I think I, I, that's why I would say Dean Smith 
this is more of his kind of striker, isn't mm-hmm. it? As opposed to a team of Puki who doesn't really offer too much apart from scoring goals. Scoring goals is an important part of the game, but if you have a striker who can do more than that, then it's always you'd always choose that striker, wouldn't you, over Absolutely. someone whose job is just to do that. Uh, but they did have a dodgy start, Norwich, didn't they? But they are now turning the screw, and you'd have thought the two wins this week will do them wonders in getting back on track. And it also eases the pressure on Dean Smith when plenty were starting to ask questions about him. Millwall, short and sweet, thought they gave a good count of themselves. Gary Rout will be annoyed about the second goal. He thought it was a foul. I thought it would have been a bit soft to give that, but... Overall, I thought they did all right. Preston have drawn 0-0 again, this time at home to Watford. It's the fourth time this season they've had a goalless contest from the first five games. They've become the first team in Championship history not to concede in their first five games. But they've also become one of only seven teams in Championship history to have not scored two or more goals in their opening five. I mean, it's an incredibly unique way to begin a season, isn't it, Justin? But the thing is... I don't know if it's a positive start or not. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to decipher, isn't it? How do you break it down? Um, it'd be interesting to get a Preston perspective because they've picked up some good results and yes, they are creating chances, but I think what the games are highlighting are uh, the fact that they do need to bring players in. Um, you look at Robbie Brady, for example, in this game, putting 14 crosses. 14 crosses, Ryan. That's a lot of that's a lot of crosses. David Moyes is, is foaming at the mouth and Sam Allardyce, whew, God knows what he's doing. Um, but 14 crosses and, and, and not one connected with a Preston player. Um, I mean, credit to Watford for being organising and, and, and getting those balls away, but still, um, you put in that much... When you've got a system that relies on, on deliveries um, and you're not getting on the end of them, they're, yeah, there are question marks. Um, but clean sheets, very happy. It's, yeah, it's a weird one. Really weird. It's so strange, isn't it? It honestly is so strange. And when Ryan Lowe was at Plymouth, he was renowned for having this, you know, good attacking brand of football. And we're seeing not really the what well, we're seeing the opposite in terms of where the goals are going or goal in this case, because we've <laughs> literally had one goal in Preston's first five games. It's absolutely bananas. I don't think we'll ever see another start to the season like it. But is it a good start? I honestly just do not know because. <laughs> Ah, words fail me. Back to the game. Watford had the best chances. Daniel Backman had to make some good saves though as well. Both Fakun Bayo and Raymond I had the best chances for Watford, which you feel would have been taken by João Pedro, Emmanuel Dennis or Ishmael Assar. And it's safe to say that those two have got some big boots to fill and we're yet to see any signs that they can actually fill them, Justin. Yeah, that's literally what I've got in my notes. They they didn't really impress as much as the likes of yeah Dennis or Sara or Pedro would have, um, which is disappointing. I think you know they are brought in as squad players, but now they've been thrust into that um, first choice position because of circumstances, um, and they didn't quite get up to speed. And the, and the fact that they're new signings as well takes time to bed in. Um, so they have really been thrown at the deep end. But I think one positive is, is um, Asprey's performance in the number 10 position showed a really good awareness with the ball and his range of passing was was really nice as well. Um, and for a, for a teenager, I think is that's really impressive and um, a good, probably not a replacement for Pedro in case he goes, but you can look to the future and go, OK, we're, we might be OK. Yeah, he looks a real player, doesn't he? Some of the passes he played have been ridiculous he reminds me a bit of Fabio Carvalho when I saw him this time last year when he was just a really young lad playing these ridiculous passes that you'd be more used to seeing by someone like Andrea Perlo um, <laughs> but yeah 
really, really impressed with him so far. Now, despite being down to 10 men for 80 minutes, Wigan managed a 1-0 win away at Birmingham. Whatever the circumstances, getting three points when you're down to 10 men for an extended period of time is a huge result. But when it's for nearly the entirety of the game, Justin, it's bloody exceptional, isn't it? It's it's a shit it's shit house category, you know. If we're taking if yeah. there if there are <laughs> check boxes for for shit housery, I think Wigan ticked quite a few of them. I know Djokovic, yeah, was questionable. Um, He's never <laughs> a red card in a million. No, years, <laughs> it, let's be honest, <laughs> it was a dive. Um, but credit to um, credit to Wigan, they mobilised. They were disciplined. They were difficult to break down. I had no idea how Birmingham um, didn't get on the score sheet, but. Wigan rode their look and they and they took their opportunity because it was literally a long ball. Broadhead picks the ball up and um, and finishes. It was it was shit housery. I just just no other way to describe it. Birmingham will be disappointed that they couldn't at least take any anything away from the game. But Wigan's performance, yeah, really really liked it for different reasons. A massive masterclass in shit housery. It was a bad result for Birmingham, wasn't it? Obviously, it is when you've got. A man advantage for you know eighty minutes in a game, and you don't take advantage of that extra man at all. It's a bad result. Lukas Jukovic played well, I thought, but apart from that, they didn't really have much else on offer. Final point on this game: Charlie White got an assist on his first appearance since having a heart attack last year, which I thought was a nice thing to see. And then the final game was QPR one, Rotherham one. The result means Rotherham have maintained an unbeaten start to the season. So well done them. Right now, it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with transfers as usual. These are only the confirmed deals. Middlesbrough have announced the signing of Rodrigo Muniz on loan from Fulham. He scored five goals last season despite only starting two games and making the rest of his 25 appearances off the bench. But an intriguing move, Justin. Yeah, I quite like it. Um, he's a... Uh, he had a difficult job of filling Mitrovic's boots last season, which they were very full of goals and it was always going to be difficult. But as you say, most of his games were from the bench and he still added a, a nice focal point for, for Fulham at times last season and, and showed a willingness to, um, to to be really, to get really involved. As I say, you know, players coming from South America can be difficult for them to settle sometimes. Um but in, in, in Muniz's cases, he, he didn't. He settled very quickly um, at Fulham. And I think that's credit to his personality. And I think that will go very nicely at Borough. Um, and it's been a long-running saga. It's been a very interesting saga to watch because I've seen many posts liked by Muniz. A lot of flirting. But it's finally, yeah, finally happened. Yeah, it, he has certainly been flirting, hasn't he? Uh, <laughs> with uh, the Middlesbrough fans and trying to get that move over the line. But it is quite funny how Middlesbrough have now got two strikers in their side who are very good in their own right, but were simply kept out of the starting eleven in past seasons by the two best individual goal-scoring seasons ever in the Championship, the other being Marcus Force at Brentford, obviously with Ivan Tony. But we only saw Muniz in cameos last season, but every time I saw him and he had a chance, he looked very dangerous. Five goals... 490 minutes of football, a goal every 98 minutes. Not to be sniffed at, especially when you consider him coming off the bench so often in those appearances. Mm. He won't have had a chance to have much of an impact or to influence the game. So really, when I say a goal every 98 minutes, it's probably more like a goal every 90 minutes. But Fulham spent seven million on him, so there's obviously a player there. He just hasn't had a chance to show it yet. And he's obviously very keen to get out there and show it, hence why he's 
uh, been flirting so much with Middlesbrough fans on social media, Justin. So, yeah, this is a really, really intriguing signing. And hopefully this will be the goal scorer that Middlesbrough have been chasing for basically the entirety of the summer. Now, the prophecy of Stoke City spoke about the son of an icon returning to the club. And it's come true, Justin. Liam Delap has joined Stoke on loan. What an exciting signing this is, Justin. It is incredibly exciting, but I can't help but think that excitement has been dwelled a little bit by the, their really average announcement video. Um, I know I spoke about it in midweek, but unfortunately it didn't deliver. There were so many things they could have done. You know, Rory Jalap shining his head. It was a suggestion I, I saw. You know, shining his head with a towel, not just randomly shining his head. Um, yeah, disappointed, but for a you know, playing perspective, it's a very, very good signing. He showed what he's about in the in the game against Sunderland. Didn't quite get... Um, uh, well, he, he had to make chances for himself, uh, essentially. Yeah, well, it's an exciting signing. It's one that the whole Stoke fan base have really, really been excited about. It has been dampened a bit by the, the result at the weekend. But nonetheless, this is a guy who has been strongly linked with Premier League moves mm-hmm. this summer. Um because he's one of the most exciting prospects in the country at the moment, isn't yeah. he? Only 19 years old. Um, and when you're playing minutes in a Pep Guardiola side in the Premier League, then I think you've got to have something about you. So for Stoke to get him in, he obviously had a lot of interest, not just um, from the Premier League, but loads of championship clubs were trying to get him on loan as well. He's chosen Stoke. I'm guessing it's got something to do with his dad being a coach there. Um it's an exciting time for Stoke fans and how he does. I hope it's going to be very, very good because it could, it goes one or two ways, doesn't it? When we yeah. have a young lad who's been spoken about so much actually playing first-team football. So we'll have to wait to see, won't we? Ryan Woods has moved to Hull on a permanent deal from Birmingham. He signed a three-year deal with the option for another. Thoughts on that one, Justin? Yeah, quite random. Massive blow for Birmingham City. Um, obviously, he adds some much-needed experience into that midfield, and he, he is quite tidy with the ball at his feet. And if you're playing wing backs, a wing back system, I mentioned it last year when he signed for Birmingham City. Actually, his ability to switch play very quickly helps Birmingham City quite a lot. Um, and yeah, I think it is quite a blow. But they've they've picked up a fee for a player who is quite average at Championship level. Not to discredit him, I don't mean it in a in a bad way. Um, but he'll very he'll be probably be you know, playing as a, a squad player at Hull rather than a first teamer, certainly. I didn't realise he was only 28 still. Feels like well, he's been around yeah. for so long. Um, but I suppose they're getting him in his prime years. And once upon a time, he was a very, very uh, promising player at this level one team. Yeah. In recent years, his career's coasted a bit ever since that move to Stoke, really. So I'll be interested to see how he does in a Hull shirt. But I'm the same as you. I'm not sure how high he'll be in the pecking order there, I've got to say. Burnley have signed Stuttgart winger Darko Churlinov. The 22-year-old signed a four-year deal. The Macedonian international helped Schalke get promoted last season. Cardiff have let defender Mark McGuinness leave on loan to Sheffield Wednesday as well. Now, in contract news, Hall defender Jacob Greaves has signed a new four-year deal with the option for an extra year. The highly rated 21-year-old has been strongly linked with the move to Middlesbrough, but he's now put an end to that speculation and... I was a bit surprised when I saw this news, Justin. I thought he was aiming for a move to Middlesbrough. Yeah, I thought he would be on his way as well. Um, I think that's a testament not only to the financial power he'll have now, um, but also the the project that they've managed to sell to Greaves because Greaves is a very good prospect, um, young up-and-coming, ball-playing, left-sided defender, 
very very rare um so the value that that would have been on him um and the money that Middlesbrough were willing to pay um could have swayed who I mean definitely could have swayed him last season um uh, before uh, Elikali's takeover but yeah credit to um the hierarchy there for convincing him to to, to stay at Hull I think that's a as I say a testament to the project they they want to build there yeah can't disagree Huddersfield have given new contracts to captain Jonathan Hogg and Ollie Turton in injury news unfortunately and bizarrely we've had few players picking up bad injuries this week mm. Cardiff defender Jamalou Collins has been ruled out for the season after doing his ACL in the game against West Brom awful news just because I mean when it's an ACL injury and it's always awful news anyway but also because Collins has been brilliant in Cardiff's first four games, and he's looked like a yeah. really, really good player. Yeah, and, and we, we always, whenever we do um, team of the season at the end of the season, left backs a very difficult position to pick because there's never a really consistent, outstanding left back. But Jamila Collins, I know we're only a few games into the season, has shown so many good attributes for him to be able to have that seat, that sort of season. So it's such a huge blow to Cardiff. Um, and um, and absolutely good for him and absolutely good for Cardiff because he was looking like one of the signings of the season free transfer from Paderborn yeah good for him but um, yeah good luck to his recovery because yeah ACL injuries are tough Billy Sharp set for another spell on the sidelines for Sheffield United after suffering an ankle injury Paul Hackingbottom says they're going to get the opinion of a specialist and that he's out of his thinking until he gets told otherwise. Swansea defender Joel Latabodier isn't going to be available again until after the World Cup following a shoulder injury. The issue is, Justin, Swansea aren't flush for options at right wing-back, are they? And Russell Martin's admitted they might struggle to get any more players in before the window closes. Norwich have called a general meeting for shareholders to vote on appointing Milwaukee Brewers owner Mark Atanasio as a director. He's owned the baseball team since 2004. The vote is due to take place on the 12th of September. Don't know if this means they'll get more money, but Norwich have always been a club who I look at when they get to the Premier League, don't spend enough money, maybe this may be the signalling of that changing. And finally, everyone will be glad to know that work has finally started on Coventry's pitch. It began the morning after the announcement was made in the week that the pitch was being relayed. And that's good news for everyone, especially us, because it's it's getting a bit painstaking having to talk about grass <laughs> not being in great condition every single week. Uh, Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on things to do with the championship. The first question I asked them was this. Where will Sheffield United finish this season? Automatics, playoffs or outside the top six? Yeah, I'd certainly back them for the automatics at this stage. Well, you had them top two in your league table did. predictions, didn't you? And so exactly. far, I don't think anyone's Anything's going to dissuade you from that opinion, is it? 35% of people said automatics. 52% said playoffs. 13% said outside the top six. Uh, who will score more goals, Liam Delap or Rodrigo Muniz? I think just based on the amount of chances that Borough create, it's got to be Muniz because poor Delap's going to be isolated quite often in that Stoke team under O'Neill, in my opinion. I would agree with that. 53% of people said Muniz, 47% said the laps are quite close. And finally, what's the best Eminem song? Like Toy Soldiers, Lose Yourself, Stan or Without Me? What's Stan? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah, tea's the blo- gone yeah, yeah. cold, I'm wondering why. 
that one. Okay. Uh, and what now? Um, yeah, we'll go with that one then. That was a very good rendition. I'll, I'll say that. Stands a very good song. I just realised I put my phone away without actually reading out the results. Um, 42% of people said Lose Yourself. 32% said Stan. 15% said Without Me. 11% said Like Toy Soldiers. So there you go. Right now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Tom Morgan from Total Swans TV and Ben Rowley from the YYY Files. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name Casper Schmeichel's last eight clubs and Tom would say Leicester, that's one down. And Ben would say Leeds, that's another down. But if Justin would say Man United, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. This week's question is all about Australians for no reason whatsoever. Can you name for me the eight Australians who have made the most appearances in the Premier League? Justin, you have got a very questionable look on your face, so we'll go to you first. <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy one. Um, I, the obvious one is Mark Schwarzer, shortly. Absolutely. 514 Premier League appearances, the most by any foreign player and the most by a goalkeeper. So you're spot on, Justin. So that's one down. Ben, you can go next. Uh, Mili Adenak. has only made 90 appearances, which surprised oh, no. me, actually. I thought you would have made more than that. But unfortunately, he's not on the list, Ben. So you are instantly out of Simon Grayson's hatefully. That means it's down to Tom and Justin. Tom, you'll go. Uh, I'm going to go for one that I can remember when I was a lot younger, Mark Viduca. What a legend. Mark Viduca, 240 appearances for the likes of wow. Middlesbrough and Newcastle. He has made the fifth most appearances out of all Australians in the Premier League. Justin, you'll go. I'll go with Brett Emerson next. Another legend. I love, I just love old school <laughs> Australian Premier League players. <laughs> Brett Emerson, 247 appearances, all for Blackburn, the fourth most out of the players on this list. Tom, you'll go. Um, touching on last night's sporting events and boxing, uh, I'm going to go for one who celebrated like he was a boxer, Tim Cahill. Yes, good. I like that. Topical. 226 <laughs> appearances in eight years at Everton. That is the sixth most appearances by an Australian in the Prem. So you've got four so far you're halfway through justin you're going yeah i don't want to go with a certain former Leeds and liverpool player just in case their injury record was that bad i mean it was bad but i don't know if you made that many appearances because of it mm. so i'll go with lucas neil first lucas neil is correct he's made the second most appearances out of all the players 279 for the likes of blackburn and west ham always thought he's one of the most underrated premier league mm. players actually as well he was he was a very good player was he so you've got three remaining tom uh, Mui, is it Moy? Aaron Moy. Moy, yeah. Ninety-six appearances, which is unfortunately seventy appearances too few for Shit. this list. Uh, so that means Tom is out. Unfortunately, that means it's down to Justin with three players remaining. Hmm. Um. Yeah, this gets tricky. Uh. I mean, Harakul has got to be the next one. It's got to be on uh, on that list. 274 for Leeds and Liverpool. So you've got two remaining, Justin. I'm not surprised you've left these two. Um, it's it, it's a tricky one. I'll, I'll give you that clue. Stan Lazaridis. 
my lord. 166 appearances, which is <laughs> the eighth most in the Premier League. That is one hell of a shelf on Justin Peach. You've got one remaining, Justin. It's the seventh most. The seventh most. Um, crikey. I'm trying to think of any Australian who's possibly played. Um, I mean, Brad Jones won't be up there because he was a number two for his whole career in the Premier League. I generally can't think of any Australian players. Um, can you give me a clue on his position? No? No. It's the hateful eight, mate. You should know this by now. Uh, okay. Um, Do you concede? I'm not going to concede. I'm going to throw a name out there. But I, I generally, there's nothing coming to my head. Um, Let's go for I the mean, most stereotypical Australian name you can come up with then. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Paul Smith. Is that stereotypical? Could have be. said Bruce or Shane. <laughs> yeah, Bruce is a good shout, actually. The player you were looking for was Mark Bosnich. 206 oh. appearances, mostly for Villa. Um, so, unfortunately, another group of lads have fallen foul to Simon Grayson's hateful eight this week. We've not had a winner yet on the second tier in this particular game. So, Simon Grayson is loving life at the moment but this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on thursday to preview all of the next weekend's games in the championship so we look forward to seeing you then but of course a big thank you to our guests on the show this week tom morgan from total swans tv thank you for your time today pleasure as always guys thanks very much couldn't have picked probably a more difficult uh, set of questions hey simon grayson's been very helpful was, so it, that was season. tough that was, that tough. was really tough. Yeah. Uh, and also Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. That's very generous of you. I feel like I've just turned up, had a rant and then dumped straight out the quiz. So I don't know why yeah. I'm here, to be honest. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it nonetheless. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.